seat. We are in the life of Moses. He is at Sinai. He is meeting on Mount Sinai with God. Uh, the children of Israel um, are uh, at the foot of the mountain, and God is speaking to Moses and writing the Ten Commandments with his finger. Um, by the way, fun rabbit trail. There are three occasions in the Bible in which the finger of God is mentioned. You know what they are. This is one, the Ten Commandments. You know what the other Old Testament is? Huh? Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, yeah, the um, writing on the wall. Uh, mene, mene, tekel, upharsin. Uh, thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. The New Testament one. Jesus as the woman in adultery, and Jesus is writing on the sand. Um, so there you go. Now you know Bible trivia. Uh, but it, what a fascinating study. It's interesting because those are three times that you see the hand of God actually physically doing that. Um, I want to study the whole hand of God. That's a whole other study because uh, you get into creation and all those kinds of things. But uh, anyway, he's, he's right, the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Jews know him as ten words. What we've been doing is taking one key word associated with each commandment. And uh, today we're on number 10. Next week we're going to do the summary of them uh, with Jesus' overview of it. And then, uh, then we're going to move on. But uh, what we have is we have all ten commandments. Uh, the first one is, I am the Lord. Well, the idea is that God is the authority in your life. God said, I want to be the authority. Um, you will have no other gods before me. God wants to be the priority. He wants to be the center on which everything in your life revolves around. Um, you're not to take his name in vain. The idea is that the Lord has a high reputation, and we're not to do anything that brings him down, that lowers his reputation in the sight of other people. Um, the idea of remember the Sabbath, the idea is that God has a rhythm, a pattern to life. Part of the rhythm and pattern to creation, to life itself, is the idea that we need to take time every week. We need to take a day every week where we just step back and we focus on God. We focus on what God's done. We appreciate that which God has done, and we worship and we honor him. Then we got to the, the fifth commandment, which is a pivotal commandment about honoring our father and mother. And the word that we used was honor. And the idea was that we have to come to a point that we are able to honor our parents uh, because it really is a pivot on which the other commandments are going to hinge and fall. Uh, then we get to, and I always get stuck here for some reason. Uh, then we get to the sixth commandment, uh, which is not to murder. The idea is that value, every human being has value to God. Uh, then uh, we get to number seven, uh, which is uh, you shall not um, commit adultery. And that was the idea of what we love. And it's important for us to really take a good hard look at, at what we love and how we love. Uh, we talked about the idea of we will not uh, steal. And that was the idea of being generous, that we need to learn to be generous people. Um, and our time, our talents, our, our, our abilities, our money, those kinds of things. And then last week, we talked about bearing false witness. Um, and it was the idea of we need to be people of truth. That as a Christian, uh, we need to speak truth and we need to be associated with truth because God's world is a world of truth. Satan's world is a world of lies. So we talked about that. This morning, um, we are getting to um, the, the last commandment. Um, and here it is. Um, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Okay? 
So let's talk about this. This commandment, first of all, there's a lot of controversy around all of this. Okay, so let me throw all of this out and we'll, we'll try to put some, some meat together and, and, and get some context of this. Um, so first of all, you need to understand that Orthodox Christianity and Roman Catholic theology differ here. Okay? Um, in Roman Catholic theology, um, for instance, if you were brought up Roman Catholic, you were taught that this is not the 10th commandment. This is actually 9 and 10. Okay? Because what the Roman Catholic theology teaches is that um, I am the Lord God and you shall have no other gods before me. We have made those two commandments, one and two. In Roman Catholic theology, they're number one. Okay? So they're, they combine those two. So when they get to 9 and 10, they separate them out. So the difference would be, if, if you, again, um, if, you're, if you're buying something from um, uh, an evangelical Christian shop, this is number 10. If you're buying something from a Roman Catholic uh, shop, this, this, this is, uh, when it's 9 and 10 in that one, it's 10 for evangelical. So this is number 10 for us, okay? So we see this as number 10. This commandment is very unique in, the tip, in, a, in this sense. All of the commandments deal with actions, except this one. This deals with thought. This is a commandment that deals with what's going on inside. All the other commandments, it's something, um, uh, you know, honor, uh, remember, uh, don't steal, uh, all, you know, don't commit adultery. All of them are action-oriented. This one is thought-oriented. Um, and it's twofold, by the way. It, it, it has to do with coveting your neighbor's house. That's something that you see. Or coveting something or your neighbor's wife, that's something you desire. So it's, it's interesting here that, that as we talk about it, this last commandment deals more with what's going on inside your head. I like what I think it was Martin Luther who said, um, well, let's, let me talk about this. Have you ever had one of those thoughts and you thought, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't think like that? Okay? You know, yeah, no, not me, yeah. Okay, yeah, well, and your wife would say, not bear false witness. But anyway, uh, so anyway. <laughs> And okay, here's the idea, and people struggle with that. Okay, here's what Martin Luther said, and this is a good idea. Uh, this is a good concept. Look, you can't stop birds from flying over your head. You can stop them from building a nest on your head. That's the difference. So when that thought comes across, you're like, I shouldn't think like that. Okay, just stop a minute. I understand that, but that's Satan at work. Whether or not you want to camp there is a different ballgame. That's where, you, that's where you start to deal with the issue, you know. So somebody ticks you off and you go, you know, I, you know, I want to hit them. Okay, that, that's a bird flying over. I wonder if I can find a way to get them in a corner in a back street so that I can beat the snot out of them. Okay, wait a minute. That's a different ballgame. That is a way different ballgame. Does it make sense to you? Okay, because I know Christians, I can't believe I thought that. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Let's be careful going there, okay. Um, Here's the idea of coveting, and this is, this is important for us to, to understand because sometimes we get a little confused here. The idea of coveting is, and by the way, this has incredible implications for us as a society right now. The idea of coveting it is, it's not the idea of I, want, I just desire that. I want, I, you know, that's something I want. The idea behind coveting is this. You have it, and I should have it. And in fact, I should have what you have. 
It's not the idea of, I want a nice house. It's the idea of, I want my neighbor's house. It's not the idea of, I want, I want a wife like he has. It's, I want his wife. That's different. It's very, very different. A covetous attitude says, you have it, I deserve it, I should have what you have. Let me say it again. I don't think you should have it because I should have it, so I should have what you have. You want to know what we call this today? This is socialism. Socialism is rooted in covetousness. You have money. I don't have money. I should have your money. That's covetousness. You have a wife. You're not treating her right. You're not, at, you're not, you're not valuing her. I should have her because I will treat her and value her like you are not treating her and valuing her. Does that make sense? This is really important because this is a big distinction. Coveting has the idea of, I want your stuff. I want what you have. Not just, you know, I want something like, no, I want that, okay? Um, I like what, um, uh, you know, what one guy, in, 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 in talking about this, they talked about this idea that, that that's where you have to be very, very careful because here's why. Coveting has an, there's an interesting concept, and here's why. There are some things we are to covet. For instance, in the New Testament, it says covet the best gifts. In Psalm, it says covet the Word of God. So you go, okay, Pastor, now I'm really confused. This says don't covet, and now you're telling me I should covet. Okay, here's how, I, here's how this will help you to figure out what's, and again, it sounds odd, but what's good coveting and what's bad coveting. Here's the way to figure it out, okay? Good coveting costs me something. Bad coveting costs you something. So in other words, I want the spiritual, I, I, I want the best spiritual gifts, talents, abilities, those kind of things. What does that mean? That means I have to go do something in order to do that. I want to covet God's word. That means I have to go spend more time in God's word. I have to go and, and desire to spend time with God. My neighbor's wife, my neighbor's house, my neighbor's ox, my, his servants. Now it's going to cost him something because he has to give to me. See the difference? You see the difference? That's what helps you. So when you're looking at it, if it's something where all of a sudden now it's going to cost you something, that's something that, so, you know, again, so, okay, I look at that person's marriage and I go, you know, I want a marriage like that. That's going to cost me something to invest in my marriage. Okay? Not, okay, I need to figure out how I can get them to get divorced so that I can get that spouse. The difference. You got, got it? Does that make sense? Okay. Because that, that's important to realize. So, what's the opposite? What's our word? Um, our word, pretty simply, is this idea of contentment. That's our word. Contentment. How do you, how do you, how do you not co covetousness is really about being content with that which you have. Um, and and that, becomes, that becomes very, very important. I like what... Um, they asked Andrew Carnegie this. How much money is enough money? You know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. Is that not? Is that not where we are? 
Um, I like what one person said. There are two ways to be rich. One is to have the most stuff. Number two is to have the fewest needs. Both people are rich in, in our culture. So I think for, for us, as far as this whole idea of coveting, it comes down to this. There are two key questions you have to ask yourself. You, and your answer to these two questions will tell you whether or not you're going to struggle here. Okay? So first question, um, the first question that comes down is this. How much is enough? I mean, really, how much is enough? See, that is a very important question. Because what I see is I watch people go, okay, you know, so let me ask something, okay? So if you're working on a retirement, how much is enough? How much is enough? You know, how much is enough? Because well, you've got to answer that question. That's a very important question. Because see, the person who's coveting, the answer to that is, what I have is not enough. I've got to get more. Whether it be your house, whether it be your car, whether it be your, your servants, whether it be, I've got to get more. I see people who answer this question about, okay, when I have X number of dollars, I'll be comfortable retiring. You know what happens? They get to that number, and then they go, I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more. The story is told a guy who's on the beach. He's a fisherman. He's on the beach. It's the middle of the afternoon, and a guy comes up to him and says, what are you doing here? He said, he said I'm a fisherman. He said, I caught everything I needed today. The guy looked at him and said, well, you're kind of lazy if you're just laying right here. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, you should be, if you've already got what you needed for the day, you need to go get more so that you can make more money. He goes, why would I want to do that? He said, well, if, if you make more money, he said, you could buy a nicer boat. He said, why would I want to do that? He said, well, if you buy a nicer boat, you can catch more fish. Well, why would I want to do that? Well, because if you catch more fish, you can get more people to fish for you because you can now pay them and you can have a whole business around fishing and you can run the company. And the guy said, why, why would I want to do that? He said, well, he said, if you do that, he said, you can make enough money that everybody else is working for you so then you can relax and enjoy yourself. And he looked at him and said, you mean like I'm doing now? And that's the point, isn't it? You, you know this. You played this game. You know, you know, you know how you, you, you up it a little bit every time? And then you go down and need to up it a little more? You know? You know, I mean, I just, bought a, I just bought a new mower, you know? And I'm struggling. I've always had a 42-inch. And I went to a 48-inch. This one's a 52-inch. And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, why? Well, I can cut grass faster. I can cut more of it quicker. But you know what I'm starting to realize? When you've designed all your landscaping around 42, <laughs> guess what? You know? Now you're trimming, so now I'm redesigning landscape now. But I got a bigger mower. You know, we all fall into that. I get that, Okay. Um, and it's so, so easy, but you've got to ask yourself, how much is enough? What's it going to be? Um, and you've got to, again, if you think culture is going to help you scale it back, you're crazy. Culture doesn't do that. Culture just pushes you to get more and more and more and more and more. 
culture, every time you see an ad, it's designed to make you not satisfied with what you've got. And, and it just pushes you. You've got to ask yourself, if you're going to deal with this issue of contentment, you've got to ask yourself, how much is going to be enough? Second question you've got to ask yourself is this. What are you going to focus on? I mean, really, what's your focus going to be? Um, because when Christ was here, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said it this way. He said, look, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. He who has the most toys doesn't win. He just dies with the most stuff to get rid of. You know? And, and we really, we've got to wrestle with it. I'm not talking about not having nice things. I'm not talking about not, not, not appreciating or, or doing But I'm saying when you live for that, when that becomes everything for you, it, it, it's a dark, dark hole to go down. Because you're never, ever content. You're always struggling with this idea. You're always just fighting it. Okay, let me talk to teenagers and, and, and college kids and stuff like that for a second. Listen, listen to me. If you can answer these two questions at 16, 17, 18, 20, 25, you will save yourself so much heartache. One of the things I've always stressed to my kids is, look, you do not choose a job based on the dollar value. Because if you're good at what you do, there will always be people offering you more money to do it. You need to sit back and ask yourself, what kind of lifestyle do you want? Where do you want to live? How much money do you have to have to have that kind of, of lifestyle? If you let people set that for you, by throwing, my, my, you know, we, we've got, my kids have friends who have gone down this road, and now they're sitting back, and all of a sudden they have made these decisions based on the dollar value, and they've moved way away from family, and now they're sitting back going, now that I have little kids, I don't have any family close by, and they're realizing maybe this wasn't the best decision because they made it based on money instead of based on what they valued and what was important and what they wanted to focus on. And I, I just can't stress that enough. These are two really, really good questions to ask yourself because if you're not careful, what happens is you get caught up in them. And some of you know, and as parents, you need to be I, Look, I sat down with my kids and said this. I said, look, you've watched your mom and dad. Our entire lives, we've been in nonprofits. It's never been about the money. And yet, you know as well as I do, we have a great life. Because I chose lifestyle over the money every time we were faced with that choice. And that's so important for us to understand. Um, and what happens is people get caught up in this idea of these things will provide happiness. These things will do stuff for me. Um, I, I look at the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. Okay? I, do this in, I talk about this in marriage, too. But this is where it applies here as well. Um, here's a question. Are you a thermostat or a thermometer? Um, this is actually a business thing, and you can barely see it, but that's okay. This will help you out. Here, here's what happens. A thermometer responds to the temperature of the room. A thermostat sets the temperature for the room. That's the difference. Okay? For instance, thermometer, you walk in here and you go, this is cold. Well, first of all, you need to know, I bumped it up two degrees today. It's 70 degrees in here today. Because okay? it, it was getting a little bit cooler outside, so I thought, we don't need to be at 68, we need to be at 70. So 
today I have actually turned the temperature up for you. But you know how it goes. You come in here and you go, it's, you, you, you look at the temperature in the room and you, like a thermometer, you go, okay, it's hot, I'm going to put it, I'm going to take a coat off or a sweater off, or it's cold, I'm going to put a sweater on. The thermometer responds to the temperature of the room. Thermostat sets the temperature of the room. Thermostat walks into a room and it goes, you know what? It's too hot in here. Let's decide. So this morning I walked in and I said, or actually last night I turned it on. Um, last night I looked at it and it was 76 degrees in here. And I said, tomorrow when I come in, I want it to be 70 degrees. So I changed the temperature to apparently, who I don't know who cleaned this week, but on two occasions, you guys said, two of the things you guys said, at one point turned it down to 67 degrees. Um, somebody did. So it must have been really hot. Um, that's okay. It went back when you turned it off. But anyway, um, I'm thinking, that's cold. Uh, but anyway, the idea is this. The thermostat, you walk in and you determine it. This is the thing we're talking about in contentment. Contentment acts as a thermostat. Contentment says, whatever situation I walk into, I'm going to set the tone. I'm going to determine what it is, the, what the temperature is, the, thermo, the thermometer part of it, and then I am going to bring it down or bring it up. Here's the difference when we talk about it in life. <clears throat> and again, you've heard the adage, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Okay, that's wrong. That's thermometer mentality. Okay? Thermometer mentality says, if mom ain't happy, then I've got to respond to that, and nobody in the house can be happy. Here's the thing. And by the way, don't, I'm not knocking it. We have the sign hanging in our laundry room. Okay? I ignore it, but we have it hanging there. Okay? Here's the idea. If mama ain't happy, that's mama's problem. You go, oh, no, 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 mama will make your world miserable. No, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> if I'm the thermostat, then I am going to walk in a room and go, mama ain't happy. My job is to ratchet it down so I can get mama into a better position. I am the thermometer. I am the thermostat. I'm, so I walk into a situation and everybody's, wah, 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 wah. my goal as a Christian is to be the, thermo, the thermostat and to ratchet it around to bring a little peace, a little harmony, a little less energy to it. By the same token, I walk in and everybody's depressed and everybody's all burned out and everybody's upset. My, I don't, I don't, I don't, this is the difference. Christians who are not, who can't learn this issue of contentment, they walk in that situation and then and they just feed it. Oh yeah, everything's so bad. Bah, 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 bah. They walk out, they're as depressed now as the people they walked into. Or by the same token, they walk in and everybody's just, they are just fuming mad over something. And they just jump in and they get mad and then they walk out and their blood pressure is sky high now. That's a thermometer kind of life. God didn't design us to be those kind of people. God designed us to be thermostats. God designed us to walk into a situation and bring it down or encourage people up. You walk in here, you may have been discouraged, whatever. Our job is to encourage you. You walk in here, you're all hot about something that you saw in the news or da-da-da. Let's bring it down. That's the difference. Content people act as thermostats to whatever is going on in the world around them. And if you ever want an opportunity to do this, boy, 2020 is, the ye is your year. You want to be able to make a difference in the world 2020, you have so many opportunities every single place you go.
to bring it down, to be an encouragement. I was at Menards, I've been at Menards a lot, but I was at Menards um, getting something and, and, you know, like most, like all the home stores, they have this, the mask policy thing. <clears throat> so, you know, I got my mask thing on, I'm back at the order desk, I ordered my stuff, and there's this guy, I mean, he is losing it. He is screaming, doesn't have a mask on, he's just screaming, screaming his head off about, you want my money or not, I can't believe it, I've got it. I'm here to spend my money and you won't wait, because they wouldn't wait on him because he didn't have a mask on. And the manager was awesome, you know, he goes, hey, you know, oh, uh, the manager was really awesome with him, he said, look, he said, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but that's our policy, and, the, and he starts screaming at him and everything else, and, and he's, he storms off, he's got a buddy with him, he storms off, he goes to the middle of the store, stands in the middle of the store, and starts screaming about how unfair this is, and how how everybody's, everybody's been uh, duped and da, 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 and all this kind of thing. And the manager, by then I've got my, I've got my sheet, and so the manager's walking out, and, and he's got his buddy with him, and I'm looking at it going, this guy is so mad, he's going to hit somebody. So I thought, I'm not the brightest on stuff like this, but I thought, you know what, I don't want it to be two-on-one. So I start walking with the manager, beside the manager. So now the manager's on it. And this guy would stop and he'd scream. And the, and the manager would say, sir, I need to kind of leave the store and da-da-da-da. And so I'm thinking, you know, at least if he hits him, I can jump in the way or something. I don't know what I would have done. But so anyway, so I'm standing there. We get up. Finally, we get up to the line. I get up to the line, and the manager's got it under control. And, and the guy goes out in the parking lot. The manager walks out in the parking lot, makes sure the guy takes off and that kind of thing. I get my stuff. I'm walking out of the, I'm walking out of the store. I'm in the parking lot. And the manager comes walking back after dealing with this guy. And I just walked up to him and I said, sir, look, I said, I have to commend you. I said, I don't think there's anybody who could have handled that situation as well as you did. And I said, I'm sorry, but I said, I said, I know, I said, I know you don't have any choice in this thing. You're just doing your job. And I'm sure you don't like wearing a mask anymore than anybody else. But I just want you to know, you know, there are, not everybody's like that. He could not say anything, but I could tell, you know, he was like, you know, I appreciate it. Why? Because I had an opportunity to help be a thermostat instead of a thermometer. Okay? And, and that's what I'm talking about. We have so many opportunities to be able to do that kind of thing. And I, I just want to challenge you with this idea because it's so easy. So listen to what, let, um, let's throw you a couple of verses. There's all kinds of, by the way, there's all kinds of Bible stories about people who, do, who went down this path. You know, you got Abraham a lot. You got Nahab, uh, Ahab and, and, and uh, Naboth and a vineyard. You got David and and, and Saul, um, and all, you got David and Bathsheba, you got, you got all these stories of people who took something, Achan, that took something that they didn't, they, they coveted it and got them in trouble. It's just a dead end road. So listen to what scripture says. Here we go. Um, godliness with contentment is a great game. You brought nothing into the world, you're going to take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, be content with that. So stop right here. You got all kinds of stuff going on in your life. Stop right now. Everybody here is clothed. Okay? I don't know about online people, but everybody here is clothed. Okay? <laughs> everybody here is clothed. Okay? Everybody here looks like they've been fed. You could have had a donut this morning if you wanted it. Okay? And coffee. That's enough. Anything else going on in your life? is gravy and icing on the cake. You got food, you got clothes, it's a good day. 
That's what he said. And most of you, you went to a closet and picked out what you wanted to wear. You had a choice of all kinds of stuff. You know, some of you did really well with that idea. Some of you got work to do. Um, you know, but I mean, honestly, you, 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 got, you got clothes and you got food. It's a great day. Period. Period. We, we got to get back to this because we've become so spoiled and we've become so, we forget this. It's like, well, I need this and I got to have this. And, and God didn't work this out the way I, you got food? Yeah. You got clothes? Yes. It's good. That's what he's saying. It's good. Take it. And stop being greedy. None of us like spoiled, rotten children, do we? And yet we do that with God, but God still loves us, which tells me something incredible about God because I have a really hard time loving spoiled, rotten children. Right? You know, I want to sit there and go, don't you realize what you have? Listen to this passage. Philippians, Paul. By the way, if you're struggling with depression and, dip, and, and, and encouragement and things like that, Philippians your book. Read it every day. There's four chapters. Read it every day. Um, three key ideas in there. The idea of how you think. The idea of Jesus Christ. He's mentioned probably more per verse in Philippians than any other book in the Bible. Um, and it's the idea of rejoice over and over again. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. This is Paul speaking. He's in prison. He's about ready to die. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul said, I've taken stock of my life and I've said this. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to have plenty. I'm going to be content whatever situation God has put me in. And by the way, he says he learned that. That's not something that happens automatically. It's something to learn. Listen to this passage. We dare not classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. He said, look, it's foolish to play the comparison game. It's foolish. There will always be somebody that has it better than you. The problem is there will always be somebody who has it worse, but you often will never compare yourself to them. That's the way this works. We're only looking at people who have a better situation, you know, and, and, and you know, that have more of this or more than that. That, that, that leads us down to a really unhealthy road. So I, I, I really I wrestle with these two issues. How much is enough and where are you focused? Where, yeah, he does that. Um, and where are you focused? Where are you focused? Um, I love this. I think this, summed this up. I think this summed up the whole thing. <laughs> this is exactly where some of us are. If we had been an animal in the ark, we would have gotten off and gone, boy, that was some trip. It rained the whole time. What are you focused on? You've got to ask yourself, what are you focused on? Okay? And, 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 and how much is enough? I mean, they were saved from the flood. And they're focused on the rain and the trip. And I see that so, so often because we do the same, you know, we, we look at it, but we do, the, we do the same thing, don't we? We're sitting here this morning in the greatest country on the planet. We're sitting here this morning having a choice of clothes to wear today. Many of you had a choice on which vehicle to even take. 
You didn't hitch up a horse and a buggy. I know you wanted to, some of you, but um, I don't, okay? I, I want something that has gas and a key, okay? Uh, you know, you, you, you got to choose what vehicle you came in. You're going to go home and you're going to open up a refrigerator that's going to be full of all kinds of choices. You're going to be a pantry that's got all kinds of choices. You're going to go to a job. Some of you are fortunate enough that you are actually going to be able to live and not work this week. You're retired. You know, you're going, well, I work harder now than I, well, that's your issue. That's your choice, okay? But I'm saying, you're in that situation. You, you're in a situation where you go, well, you know, it could be better here and it could be here. I, I get that, but listen. We have got to learn to be content with that which we have. We have got to learn to set the temperature of the people around us. We've got to learn to walk into a situation and bring it down or encourage people and build people up. That's what we're called to do. This isn't about just coveting your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or, or, or his stuff. This is about so much more than that. It's about learning contentment and being able to carry that into a world that doesn't know anything about this concept. And when we sit there and go, you go, well, do you know how bad it is? Because, you know, i got to wear a mask and i got to do this and i got to. Yes, I do, because I have to do the same thing. You go, do you like it? No, I don't like it. Do you want things to go back to the way they were? Yes, some of them. There's some things I don't want to go back to. I don't want to go back to the fast-paced, crazy, impersonal world that we had back in January and February. I don't want to go back to the world in which it was all about activity after activity after activity after activity, and we had families that were so spread apart, nobody got to see each other. There have been some really good things that have come out of this. We have people developing relationships again because they have time and they're making time for stuff that's important, not stuff that just clicking stuff off of a, a calendar. So there's some great things that have come out of this. You say, Are there, yeah, but you know about this? Yes, I do. Are you going to be a thermometer or thermostat? Make the call. How much is going to be enough? What are you going to focus on? It really does shape how you interact with people all week long. So I end with this. As we come to the end of it, we've got to understand this idea that God provides our daily needs. In order to live godly lives in this world, we've got to decide how much is enough. Our focus determines our direction, which ultimately determines our destiny. God wants his people to learn contentment this week. Appreciate everything that God has provided because we are truly blessed to be in this country at this time. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy to want more. Or we're in a world in which that we're just constantly bombarded with more and more stuff. So, Lord, help us. May people see Christ in all that we do. May we be the people who walk into situations and be peacemakers when there's turmoil. Lord, may we be the people that encourage and uplift when we walk into situations of people who are discouraged and upset. When it is all said and done, Lord, May people be able to see us as we try to live a balanced life, reflecting you in all we say and do. These things we ask in your name.